0: Uh, before I, I pray and start getting into the, this afternoon's topic, just want to take a brief moment to just explain to you what it is. Um, the book is called Epic Fail, and it's about the reasons, opportunities, and reactions to failure. So if you're going through a period in your time in your life where everything you touch instead of turning to gold turns to dust, and you go into a period in your time while you're failing or know somebody like that, um, this is a book that will explain why we fail, the opportunities we, we can learn from failure, and how do we react to failure which determines future success. Okay? So this book is five bucks. The series of eight messages uh, It's a series um, that I did called we all have problems. and its eight evangelistic sermons, we present our beliefs as Adventists from the context of God's solutions to our problems. So we talk about the Sabbath and the state of the dead and um, money and family, uh, some of our basic beliefs. But from that context, um, it's not just information it's transformation, okay? And this one is twenty dollars. Uh, so, if I bought a limited amount of, of books and, and DVD sets, if that can be a blessing to you and your family, um, you know, we'd love for you to take it home. But let's pray and get into tonight's presentation. Heavenly Father, you um, were a young adult when you minister here on Earth, and In that time period in your life, you're able to save the world. And we want to pray for the young adults and the children and the youth in our churches, for the ones that are here to keep them, and the ones that have left to have them come back. So this afternoon, help us understand those reasons, and help us understand better ways and effective ways to reach out and minister to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, first thing I'd like to tell you, please don't kill the messenger. <laughs> Just because I present something, it doesn't mean that I agree with it, okay? I, I want to divide this afternoon's presentation into three parts. You want to take notes, or if you want any of the PowerPoint presentations that i share shared with you uh today you can just uh email me uh my twitter account is lead su lead su you can follow me on twitter or facebook either way and you ask for them I'll send them to you f- you know for free but if you want to take some notes um that'd be great too this presentation has to do with three things okay and it's Uh, Not that much inspiration is a lot more information and a call to action. We're going to talk about youth and young adults, and we're going to have this presentation divided into three parts. Number one, we're going to find out who they are, okay, youth and young adults, who they are, what are their characteristics, okay? Number two, we want to find out why they leave. There was a national study of 50,000 youth and young adults who left the church. And that research is what I'm using to share with you the six reasons why they leave. Okay? This is not hearsay. This is not my grandma or my uncle or my pastor or somebody I heard from somebody that said, this is based on solid research. research. So who they are, what they, why they leave, and number three, what we can do as a church, as a local church, as a family unit, to keep the ones we have and bring, bring back the ones that have left. You understand what I'm going to talk about? I'm going to leave some questions, even during the presentation, if you have any questions, raise your hand, don't, just don't pass me any notes, um, and, and, and ask me the questions Uh, You know, during or at the end. Okay? Now, let's get into it. This is the foundational quote for this afternoon's presentation. Change will come when the pain of losing our children is greater than the desire to do things the same way we have always done them. When that happens, when the pain of losing our children is greater... The desire to do things the same way we've always done them. That's where change comes. I showed up to a church. It's about 500 members. And the first day I was there, um, we had a board meeting. And uh, it, just in the board, I asked the board members how many of their kids and grandkids, immediate family members, were one at one time... Uh, Adventists and had left the church. I'm talking about the board members. Okay? Just the board members. 60 people. Okay? The first elders, son and daughter. I mean, several of the elders have lost their kids. Why? Because in Hispanic churches, we've chosen culture over youth. And we, we, we've we thought in Hispanic churches that preserving culture is a higher value than keeping our youth. So the kids don't speak Spanish, they speak English. And so when they come to church, instead of providing them Sabbath school lessons in English, we say, no, you have to do it in Spanish, but they don't understand Spanish because they were born here. You understand what I'm saying? And, and, and they don't speak Spanish and, and, and they don't, when the pastor is preaching and the songs are sung, they don't understand They understand English, okay? But the Spanish church has said, this is a Spanish church. And what's paramount here is not to keep our, our kids, it's to preserve our culture. So we've kept our culture but lost our kids. So I showed up in a church that had reached that threshold where they said, we'll do anything. So we planted a church. For second generation Hispanics, the first elder's kid came back and another elder's kid came back and his wife came back. Uh, Right now, that church is 120 people, most of them young, most of them professionals, most of them Hispanics of second and third generation. So I know it can work. I'm not telling you what I read in a book. I've seen it happen. So at the end of this presentation, we're going to have a prayer. We're going to intercede and cry out to the Lord for God to touch the kids from this church that have left. And I believe in the power of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring them back. Anybody with me? Amen. Yeah. We're going to intercede. We're not going to let them go without a fight. Okay. A modern day tragedy. 1,000 Adventist churches with no youth and young adults. There's a 1,000 churches in North America Black, white, Hispanic, all kinds of different nationalities that have don't have enough kids to have a Sabbath school for kids. Okay? The average age, average age of the North American Adventists is 57 years old. We're not getting any younger. Okay? And somehow along the way, something happened that we did not keep. Uh, the kids that we have, okay? So what's the problem? The problem is a disciple-making problem. We are not producing disciples. And disciples, as I said this morning, they're not mass-produced. They're individually made. Um, so this is what used to be. We're still in point number one. We're still talking about who they are. This is what used to be. And he, here's uh, my, my youth pastor, and, and, and some of you that, that have worked with youth Along the years or throughout the years, this is what used to be, okay? By the way, this first part is not the most interesting one, but I want you to stay with me because it gets better, all right? Uh, Touch your neighbor and say, it gets better, don't fall asleep. Touch him right now, I know, (laughs) okay? (laughs) This is what used to be in youth ministry, okay? This is what used to be. Young people have always left the church. It it has happened in every generation, okay? But this is how it used to be. You were young, got rebellious, left the church, got married, had kids, came back. This generation, young, got rebellious, left the church, Not getting married. What used to be 8 out of 10 got married in this generation is less than half. They're going to school, returning home, and living with you. They're not getting married. Therefore, they're not returning to church. But our mindset still is youth and young adults, especially after 25, they're supposed to be married by that time. There's a problem. They're not getting married. So we, we've kept doing the same things we've always done with a generation that is different from any other generation before. Is that making sense, what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. My brother is in that, in that generation. My brother is... I'm 45. He's 10 years younger. He's 35. He just got married this year, and you know, the last five years I've been telling, hey, you know, you're gonna get married. Uh, do do you like girls? Uh, <laughs> he's like, he's like, why? That's an antiquated institution. Why why would I, why why what you know, why, why would I, I? I got a job. I got money. Why would I want a woman to uh, come and you know take all my? Money? I I don't need to get married. <laughs> They're shacking up in record numbers. Okay? So this is what used to happen, and now we have a problem in our hands. Two important facts supported by data. Teens are among the most religious active people in America, and young adults are among the least active. 44% of young adults consider themselves agnostic. It's the highest percent in any of the generations. Okay? So there is is a problem. Who they are. Let me share with you three characteristics of this generation. They also were A, access, alienation, and authority. Okay? Uh, Number one, access. This generation has unprecedented access. Okay, I said this morning, they can fact check your sermon while you're preaching it, okay? This generation processes information through a screen. They're always in front of a screen. The TV screen, the computer screen, or the phone screen. They process reality through a screen. Okay, listen how pervasive this is. A kid, 12 years old, goes with my friend who's a pastor. They're they're swimming in uh, in the Caribbean. And he looks under the water, you know, crystal, uh, it's very nice water. He looks under the water and sees the fishes. And he says to his dad, notice this. He says to his dad, dad, it's just like on TV. Did you notice what happened? He he processes reality. That's not like TV. TV is like that. Okay, so this generation has access. They have an expectation of flattened structures of hierarchy. They don't understand the conference and the union and division and the I mean all this. The pyramid of layers don't understand it. Okay, so unprecedented access. Number two, even though they have unprecedented access, they they are alienated. Is out of all the generations, forty-one percent unwed mothers, less than three years on the job. Okay, they're skeptical about talking heads. They they they're alienated. They're connected but they're disconnected. Okay. I, you know, my daughter is is is, is texting. They're, you know, they're always her friend next to her texting. to... I'm like, so are you guys texting each other? I'm like, she's right there. It's so there's alienation. there's disconnect. Okay, personal relate it's really hard to have them look you in the eye. Okay? Number three. They have issues with authority. Okay? Every generation before this generation had issues with authority, too. You know, I I sometimes laugh because older generations get amnesia. (laughs) Because you forget how crazy you were. Now you want them to be... Well, you never were. I mean, I mean, it's, you, you, okay. (laughs) The only problem is that this generation thinks they're experts because they read it on the internet. Okay, they consult the internet more than authority figures. And they want spirituality in their own terms. So this, this is, this is just this generation. Uh, Let me go through Now, we're still on the first point, okay, who they are. On the people that leave the church, okay, the young adults and youth that leave the church, there are three types, okay? One size doesn't fit all. And every story is important because not everybody leaves for the same reasons, okay? Three reasons, okay? Are you still with me? I know it's kind of a lot of information, but I'm taking you somewhere. First, group of people that leave the church they're called the what the nomads who are the nomads okay the nomads graduated from high school and graduated from church the nomads are okay with christ just not okay with church they don't have anything against the church it's just not for them at this time. Have you met somebody like that? Yeah, I mean, they, they'll come to church in a special event. They'll show up for potluck, even though they didn't come to listen to the pastor preach. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll play in the, in the basketball team. They, they don't have anything against you. Their life doesn't re, does not revolve around church anymore. They graduated. For them, church is irrelevant, okay? These are the nomads, Okay? this the largest percentage of people that leave the church are in this group it's really hard for somebody to have never been connected to church in any real way and then expect them to connect when they're 18 okay so this is the first group okay they're not angry at the church they're not mad at the church they just don't see the church as relevant okay second group are the what the prodigals The prodigals. Who are the prodigals? The prodigals don't consider themselves Christians any longer. Okay? They are the smallest group, but the most vocal. They hate the church. They they have been hurt by the church. Listen listen to this. I I, I saw a writer say, I I saw a writer, I read somebody that wrote that behind every heresy, There is a hurt. So, the reason why many of these reject the church has little to do with doctrine and a lot to do with relationships. At some point, they were hurt. My father, a minister, my mother, a Bible worker. They had issues in their marriage, they separated. They got divorced. The way the church treated my father is the reason why my, brother, why my brother is not in church anymore. He calls himself an agnostic. But behind every heresy is a hurt. It all stems from the fact that this happened two months before he was going to go to college. And all of a sudden, my dad is out of a job. And my brother is out of subsidy, and he can't go to school. And the way all that went down, he started saying, if this people are like that to somebody who's given his life, moved us around, sacrificed his family with seven churches and an academy for this. So these are, my, my brother It's a prodigal. Okay. These these are people that are hurt, that want nothing to do with church, that that think church is the worst institution in the world. Okay, that clear? Okay. And number three are the exiles. Who are the exiles? These are people. Okay, that are stuck between church and culture. Okay, they're not looking to be separate. In fact, they resent the 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 you know. The alienation that there is between the church and the world. The exiles are people like Devon Franklin and committed. People that are, that have jobs that traditionally we as Adventists have frowned upon. Hollywood, music. So they, they like church, but the way they've been treated in church. I mean, it used to be, when I was growing up at least. That if you were in the military, I don't know how the African-American church is, but in, in the Spanish church where I grew up, if you were in the military, you were not very look good looked up upon. It was, it was a, a, big, a big no-no. The military. Okay? So the exiles are trapped in between culture and their relationship with God. Okay? Music, Hollywood, science, uh, the military. Okay? Those are the three types of people. Of mosaics. Mosaics is this generation, okay? I love this quote. It says, Your children are going to break your heart. Somehow, somewhere, maybe more than once, to become a parent is to promise to love prodigals. I mean, you see the baby in your arms when it's born, and then that same kid that will run to you and hug you and kiss you and was the first one in Sabbath school is now telling you he wants nothing to do with God? I mean, I, I I would have to believe that one of the probably one of the most painful things that could ever happen in a person's life is their kids rejecting Christianity. And and to everything that you hold sacred and valuable, they say no, this you know it's not for me, it's not important. Okay, now let's go on to number two. Get gets. It's very interesting now. Gets very interesting. Once again, don't kill the messenger. I'm just saying. I'm repeating what they said. Okay. Why they leave? Fifty thousand young people that are left the church were interviewed, and they came up with this six top reasons why they leave. Okay. Are you ready for this? Okay. You ready? Okay. Shake your head at least. yeah. All right. Okay. Number one, <clears throat> they see the church as overprotective. Their parents are helicopter parents, just always. They th- they say the church tends to demonize or demonize what was what, that? Demonize, demonize what? Demonize. Everything that is not from their faith community, okay. They see the church as afraid of everything that they don't understand. They, they believe there's a false separation between worldly things and churchly things, okay? And they think that, the, that Christianity is much more complex than when people want to say. They, they believe that the church is overprotective. I grew up in an overprotective home. You know, we were not, we, we didn't have TVs, well, sometimes we did, but my dad, like once every year, would get into a revival mode, and, and, they, and they would throw out the TV. That ever happened to you? And they throw out the TV. There's one evangelist that came, came by one time, and he said, the TV is the devil. The TV is, not not that it showed the devil. The TV is the devil, The exact. The, remember those, those TVs that when, when they start working, you just put another one on top of it, because it's really huge. Okay, The guy came by and said, the TV is the devil. And I'll prove it to you. And he did some asegesis. And he said, the screen is the eye of the devil. And and the antenna. It makes makes perfect sense, doesn't it? The antenna are the horns of the devil. And the cable. (laughs) Huh? The cable is the tail of the devil. So you have the devil in your homes and the persecution is coming. The persecution is coming. We got to get rid of all the worldly things. Bring all the TVs. And that next day, Sunday, everybody came hauling their big TVs. And they put them in the parking lot of the church. And they grabbed big hammers and, devil, die, devil, in the name of the devil. Next week, we had a bigger TV in my house. <laughs> like I said this morning, fear is not transformational. All you can do is temporarily modify behavior. But once the fear subsides, character remains unchanged. Okay? So people that left said they saw the church as over Protective. Nothing wrong with protecting. Something wrong with overprotecting. Don't call everything you don't like the devil. That's from the devil. That's from the devil. That's from the devil. That's the devil. Because like like I said, when everything is a sin, eventually nothing becomes a sin. Eh? Okay? You don't like it, you don't appreciate it. You know, I, I, I grew up in a church where going to the movie, this is what I was taught, the angels stayed outside yeah. of the theater. Not because of what they showed, but because of the place. And then we rented the same theater to hold evangelistic crusades. Doesn't make sense. You feeling me? This is being recorded, so I'm trying, to, I'm trying to be nice in the stuff that I say. But I'm just going to let it go. I mean, that's just craziness, dude. That's just craziness. That that you can, that, that a physical structure will prevent a heavenly being from going inside. And then I grew up with fears, like, you know, the devil's in there and the devil's in there. And then I went to my first movie. And I was like... What was it? Where's, where's, the, where's the? And then I found out there were no devils, and nobody was having sex in the theater because that, that's what they said. There's dens of iniquity, because Ellen White says about there. There were no movie theaters in Ellen White's day. were weren't there weren't any. So a study was done between Adventist kids. And Baptist kids. And it showed that Adventist kids have a worse movie viewing habits, even though many don't go to the movies. Because we have all, all we've told them is no. Baptist kids have been taught to discriminate and discern. You understand what I'm saying? You can't watch it in the movies, but then you bring it at home. And watch it in your house, worse than the movies. Okay, so reason number one, overprotective. Reason number two, they say the church is shallow. Shallow doesn't is not talking about the type of presentation that is that is done in the Sabbath services. Shallow is the concept of. A Christianity that is not involved in its community. So the words are shallow. It, it, we talk a good game. We have a big mouth and a small heart wow. and non-existent hands. So we talk a good game, but it's like that potato head that all he has is a big head and a mouth. So, so what they see is they, they they come to church and they hear about love and, and, and transformation and, 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 and God and then they see what happens in their homes. And our home lives and our church lives I'm talking to adults now, our home lives and our church lives are not consistent. So they they see you, you know, I, I it's nice because I uh, when I was a pastor, I used to stand in the front door when people were driving in the parking lot. And I used to be out there, and people would be in the car, and I'd be, they'd be pulling up to church, windows rolled up, fighting with each other. I could tell they were fighting. <laughs> Drive up to the parking lot, get out of the car, slam the door, here comes. The lady behind her with the three kids, you know, we're Hispanics. We we have to have three or more kids. (laughs) Everybody's mad at each other. The teenagers are asking, why do we have to go to church so early? Because today is the Lord's Day. Come on, let's go. (laughs) Upset, fighting with each other. Show up to the front door and I'm there. And the moment he sees me, he's like, Pastor, how are you, man? I'm like, huh, good. How are you? Happy Sabbath. Oh, I'm blessed. <laughs> bendecido is in Spanish. Bendecido, bendecido. I'm bendecido. And then the wife can't, can't hide it because, you know, women can't hide it. Right. <laughs> you know, men. <laughs> and she's <it's> like, <laughs> Bless right. Tell them what you were doing in the car. Tell them. Shh, shut Shut up. <laughs> Don't eat meat, but eat your pastor for lunch. <laughs> yeah. Public agreement, but private gossip. And then your kids see that and they say, This is shallow. Because. They've always been told that Buddhists are not going to heaven, but they meet a Buddhist neighbor, and he's nice, and helps him move, while people in your church never showed up. And then, and then he's like, hmm, hmm, hmm. Well, so, something's, you know, we, we talk a good game about, about doing stuff in our community, but most of our church life revolves about one hour on Sabbath morning, period. So, so young adults wants to get their hands dirty. They're not just interested in talking a good game, but doing something in the community. They they see a high level of pregnancy in, in teenagers. They see people are rampant with, 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 with uh, drugs and alcohol. They see families falling apart. They, they, see, they see businesses closing, and, and they see all this group, you know, 400, 300, 1,000 group of people that just show up and do not pull the resources, but are just interested in just fighting little petty battles in church, and they see this church as shallow, and they say, I want my life to count, I want to make a difference. Okay, I believe church should be the place where we make a difference. We have a wonderful message, a great medium to present it. Okay? Number two. Number three. Oh, well, this went away. <clears throat> Number three. The third characteristic or reason why they leave is anti they see the church as anti-science. Okay? Anti-science. They, they, they believe that the, the perception from, from the church, that the church gives, is that there are some questions, hard questions, that are not to be asked. And they see the church as anti-science. They see the church as enemies, as incompatible. Science and religion don't mix. So that's... Uh, reason number three. Number four. That, and this one gets gets interesting. Reason number four. The fourth reason why why they leave. Uh, they see the church as repressive sexually. Repressive sexually. This generation has the most access to sex of any generation. You can go online and get a hookup. Uh... And just sex within five miles of where you're standing, <laughs> you, you, you can do that. I mean, you can go on Craigslist, and there is a there is a, there, there are just this this generation. If if you wanted to watch pornography in previous generations, you had to go to the to to the to the pornographic store and buy or rent. Some videos. okay. If you want to watch pornography now, you can watch pornography in your cell phone. In your house. okay. So they believe that the church has presented a message of repression in the sexual area. What this means is this. What we have told our young people is this. Concerning sex, no. Period. Why are you still standing here? Please go away. No, no, no. Knock, knock. Who's there? No, 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 no. Bad, no, 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 no. The fact is, they know more at their age than you knew when you were that age. That, that kid that's 12 years old, and the, and the dad goes to talk to him and say, okay, we're going to have the talk about the birds and the bees, okay? I have to tell you, there's, there's some things we have to talk about sex, okay? We're going to talk about sex. And the kid looks at him and says, okay, dad, wh- what do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> we told them no, it's bad. Sex is bad. Sex is no good for you. Shouldn't do it. And we told them, no, 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 no. They get to be 20 years old. They get married. Okay, now yes. And then, and then we wonder why there is dysfunctional sexual relations in marriages. Because we presented sex as a bad thing. We told some people that having sex on, on a Sabbath is a sin. When the Jewish people right. believed And you can't get any more conservative than Jews. Believe that that the Messiah would be conceived on Friday night. When when God created man and woman, he told them on Friday, go and what? How do you figure they did that? (laughs) What do you think Adam and Eve did the first Sabbath they were here? They were not naming animals, for sure. <laughs> so we've told kids, sex is not talked about. It's not, talk, it's not preached about. It's not talked about. The only time is to say no, or you did bad when we catch him being sexually promiscuous. But we can't. It, we can't do the monkey. I can't see anything. I can't hear anything. I can't say anything. Yes. I hear nothing, I say nothing, I know nothing. They're having sex. Okay. They're having sex. So the no, you, you always have to you have to uh, always have to ask yourself. Is what I'm doing working? And if it isn't, shouldn't we try something else? Right? So, there's three views on sex. Let me explain to you. There's three views on sex. Okay? Number one, the traditionalistic view is, say, sex is based on shame. Okay? Sex is just for procreation. And the key phrase is, just say no. Okay? Just say no. Now... Second view, but watch this, watch this, second view is the individualism. In other words, this is the other extreme, which is sex is about me, okay? That's the reaction to traditionalism, is individualism. My body, okay, I get to do, pastor, it's only sex. We don't have to love each other, it's just an animal, it's just a need, it's just sex, pastor, it's just sex. Individualism says it's about you. It's about your needs. It's about what you want. Now, what we have told, see, see we, some, sometimes we've rejected this, and then we've gone on this camp and we've told kids, you know what? If you don't have sex, you avoid venereal diseases and you have a much healthier outlook. What is, what is that about? <laughs> it's about you again. So it's a selfish way of looking at sex. In other words, I shouldn't have sex because it's going to benefit me. That's still not the best way to go. The best way to go is the third way, okay? Where uh, a sexual view is, is a selfless... Sex is not about me. It's about us with God's blessing, okay? I, I you know, I, I've had the conversations with my kids... And I've had conversations with my daughter, and that was harder than having a conversation with, with my son. And, you know, if I don't talk, you know how I learned about sex? From my friends. That's right. That's right. Hey? I learned about sex from the movies. Problem is, it's not like the movies. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's not... Like what your friends say. So if we, the default, if we don't say nothing as a church, the default teacher becomes culture. Do you want your kids to be taught by culture or by you? It's uncomfortable because many of us were not taught about sex. Okay? It's uncomfortable to preach about it. I, I remember in my last church, I did a one-month series on sex. Probably the most successful series i had. I would just explain it because it's in the Bible, okay? And the way God presents it, it's, it it's, it's, a, it's a blessing, it's a gift that God has given us. So this attitude of repressiveness um, is another reason, okay? Number five, this hit, hit me hard, okay? This hit me hard because of my loyalty and, and my, you know, my background. Um, they see the church. This is fifth reason they see the church as being exclusive. Okay? Exclusive, not only in the matter of race, but in the matter of theology. Okay? When when I uh, was growing up, this is what I was taught. Uh, of all the world, everybody in the world, only Adventists will be saved. Okay? Well... Of all the people in the world, only Christians will be saved. Of all the Christians in the world, only Adventists will be saved. Of all the Adventists in the world, and why it says only one in a hundred will be saved. So, who's going to be saved? For sure you're not, and I'm doubting, I have had doubts about myself. It's like... We we become exclusive and exclusive and exclusive and exclusive and exclusive exclusive until we reduced the possibilities to a very small. Meanwhile, Revelation said that when when he looked at heaven, he saw a a wide open door. Okay, Uh, this attitude of exclusiveness. We have the monopoly on truth. Nobody else. Everybody else is second. Second-class Christians, we have the monopoly on truth. We know everything. It doesn't, it doesn't fit well with a generation who is an agreement generation. It's a generation that values fairness over rightness. Okay? So this exclusiveness. And another thing they can't get their minds around is the separation between races in our church. Okay? where we have different conferences and we have different type of churches sharing the same territory. The younger they are, the less that makes sense. Amen. Okay? And, and we, you know, when, when, we, when we planted that, that second generation Spanish church, um, we planted it and, and we started it. And one of the first things that happened it was very interesting. It was very interesting. One of the first things that happened, the leadership team, the, the core group said, we can call this church a second-generation Hispanic church because second-generation Hispanic are non-discriminatory. They marry everybody. So we had Hispanics married with African Americans, Hispanics married with whites, Hispanics married. Remember, one day we'll be your neighbor. We have to get there somewhere, uh, somehow. Um, Hispanics marrying Koreans. So the church was not a second-generation Hispanic church, so they changed the name, okay? The name became Mosaic, and it's not a second-generation Hispanic church. It's a multicultural church, okay? And I believe our witness is increased when we have people that are different from us around us. If we only stay to our own, no matter what it is, you know, there's conflicts even in the, in, in, the, in the Black church in America, between people that came from Jamaica and the islands and people that were born here, same with Hispanics that came from Mexico and some that were that were born here there's you know we, we tend to stay with people we are like, but in order to reach this generation, we have to reach across because most of this generation has friends that are from other races okay we cannot be. Exclusive, okay? And number six, number six. I, I was encouraged talking with your youth pastor about um, a program they have on Friday nights. And it's a program where they're, they're, they deal with you know, issues and questions that, that young people have. The sixth reason why um, young people leave the church is that they say that the church is not a safe place to ask questions. Because, listen, listen to me very carefully. Questions or questioning is interpret, interpreted by the older generation as doubt. In other words, you're questioning something, that means you don't believe it. Okay? Let me tell you something. This generation processes information in a different way. They process information by asking questions. Just because they ask questions doesn't mean they don't believe it. It just means they want to make sure about what they believe for themselves. Are you getting what I'm saying? What we say when somebody asks a question, so why does it have to be that way? And we tell them because that's the way it's always been. Bad answer. Wrong answer. Well, why... But what, why, 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 and, and then they, they, they start asking, you know, probing questions, and you can't ask that. And that means you don't believe. I mean, what, what kind of Christian are you? What kind of evidence are you? And, 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 and a church is, see, it's not always black and white. It's not always easy to understand, okay? For example, let me give you an example. A friend of mine just had a baby a month ago, okay? Baby came, uh, you know, naturally and healthy. In the hospital, the baby got a virus who started affecting the kidneys. And this little baby Noah, yesterday he died. One month old, okay? They had to do a a liver transplant and only 25% survived. But this baby that a month ago was born, yesterday died, Okay? Young adult parents, questions are, why? How could this happen? I mean, it's not always as easy as it seems. And these pat answers that we give them, for example, I heard somebody tell them, you know, maybe God knew that when your baby grew up, he was going to, maybe something worse would happen to him. So he put him to sleep now. I mean, and I'm thinking, really? So God would allow you to get pregnant. Would allow you to carry the baby for nine months. Would allow you to be, to see the baby born. And then a month into it, he will kill it. Now what kind of, uh, that God looks a lot like the devil. See, so we we, want to give pat answers to deep questions. And it's not working. Okay, there are some questions it's, you know, I, 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 I told them, you know, and, and I, I wrote them a note. I said, when these things happen, we wonder why. But God doesn't always give explanations. He always gives solutions. Would you rather have an explanation or a solution? If you want a solution, you look to the cross. Because in the cross, is a solution for our pain. I will never know why that baby came into the world and got a virus in a hospital, it was a sterile envirom- environment, and died a month after. It. I can't explain it. I can't come up with concoctions. It's not always so easy. So, so kids ask questions. They're deep probing questions. But we tell them no. You can't ask that. That's no, no not, not a good question. Not a good question. So this is what happens. Three types of doubts. Number one is intellectual doubt. Why do I believe what I believe? Number two is institutional doubt. Why do we need to, so many layers? And number three is unexpressed doubt. And unexpressed doubt is the worst doubt in the world. When, when, when you make them feel that they cannot question or ask, we, we, see, uh, we, we feel it's a sense of disrespect when somebody questions what we believe, okay? And, and we shut off the door and shut off the lines of communication. What they have is all their doubts. They keep them inside, and doubt starts to corrode their character, and eventually they'll stop believing altogether. So it makes sense what I'm saying. Let them ask the questions. Okay, even if you don't, and don't get all freaked out like, oh, what? The, oh, no. where, where, are you oh, boss. <laughs> Just be calm, collected. You know, when they leave, you go. What? They're, they're, they're asking questions. And the, the thing is, they'll go online and read about a whole bunch of stuff from Ellen White. And they ask you some stuff about, and you're like, well, uh, you don't believe in the prophet. No, no, let, let, let's process this information. So how did, Adam, uh, how did Noah fit all the animals in the ark if it was just, how, how was that possible? Oh, you don't believe in creation? No. Let them ask the question. Let them process. Does this make sense what I'm saying? Let them ask the questions. Okay, that's the way, that's how they get from point A to point B. Just because they ask questions doesn't mean they don't believe. Now, our almost final part is what can we do? Here are some practical applications, okay? This practical application section is in two, in two parts. I know and I've seen some methods that work. So it is possible to bring them back. It is possible to keep them, Okay. Here's just seven of them, okay? I'm going to name seven practical applications. Some of them you can adopt immediately. Some of them you have to process them through, but I just be thinking about them, and, and just please. Not doing, doing nothing doesn't work. Just try, you know, whatever it is, just do something, okay? Number one, number one, number one. I'm going to try to break this down so you can understand what I'm trying to say. Change your vision of the purpose of church. Understand what I'm saying. The church doesn't exist to prepare the next generation. It is a partnership of generations that are fulfilling God's purposes in this time. Is that 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 was that clear or, or should I just go... Is that clear what I'm saying? That number one? What's the purpose of the church? Is it for you to train? Is it for you to say, okay, I'm an adult. I know you're, you're a young adult. You don't know. I'm an adult. I am all powerful, all knowledgeable. And you are just starting out. So you sit and you learn and I teach because I know. That model is not working because it doesn't work anywhere else. Person that started Facebook, a young adult. The, the people that are driving your, your, your atomic submarines are young adults. Young adults are making multi-million decisions every day of their lives. They come to church, and they're made to feel as second-class second citizens. So it's not about us teaching them, it's us working together to accomplish the same goal. You understand what I'm saying? OK. Number two, be intentional about connecting job and faith. Okay? This is, this is, you know, for the youth pastor and Pastor Edmonds and for everybody here. In this 50,000 kids that left, 80% of them said that throughout their academy years and their young adult years and their teenage years, They never heard a sermon or a class that taught them how to connect what they did for a living with their Christianity. Okay? So it's this is my job and this is my church, but they don't connect. Because when we talk about being called, what type of job are we talking about? Pastors. But God calls nurses, too. And God calls people that work in factories, too. And God calls people that clean homes, too. And God calls people that work in offices, too. God calls. Every one of us here is called. Okay? This, this Catholic concept of the pastor is a called. That's a Catholic. We're not Catholics. Okay? We're Adventists. We believe in the ministry of all believers. Okay? So you were called. Whatever it is that you do. You're called, and you're called to be a witness, and you're called to influence, and in your sphere of influence, you're called to establish the kingdom of God there where you are. So, pastors and leaders have to do a better job with kids explaining to them that you can be a committed Christian and a committed Christian that is a carpenter, a committed Christian who's a secretary, a committed Christian who is a CEO, whatever it is, that connection between job. In Christ, between church and God and, 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 and your job, that connection needs to be made clear, okay? Number three, this one is a tricky one. Give young adults real power. Not junior deacons, real power. That means boards, elders, real leadership, okay? In my last church, we took a vote. We got the board together said, we're going to take a vote that from now on, Every nominating committee, we're going to have a teenager and a young adult representative. And they said, what? Pastor, you know how it gets. You know how we get. Are you sure you want a teenager here? I'm like, maybe you need to stop getting like you get. And become better Christians. So you give them an example of how a church should be. No, but, you know, uh, but because, you know, because nominating committee had become, at least in that church and all the other churches that I've been in, uh, not in this church, of course, but in other churches, nominating committee was a very political time of the, yeah, you, you vote for me and I vote for you. I'll you know, hook you up. Yeah, hook me up. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it, man. But political alliances were drawn and where people felt free to destroy other people's reputation. sometimes not based on any facts, just uh, hearsay, and they could just throw out stuff. And oh, oh, that wasn't truth. Ah, uh, well, that's what I heard. You know, that's what I heard. So, did you hear it from? No, that person who told that person who told that per- the person who told that person in confidence who told the other person in confidence who told the other person in confidence. At the end of the day, everybody knew in confidence in the church. So, you want. You want young adults and youth to be a part of the church? Give them real power. Appoint them to boards. If you've been in the church for a long time, be intentional about mentoring somebody else. We, sh- we can't hold on to power. Okay, A mark of a real leader is somebody who is, the moment they get to a position, is intentionally, intentional in developing other leaders around them. Sometimes we're so insecure about our other about our own uh, abilities, and sometimes for some of us, church is the only place we have some semblance of power that, 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 we, that we just want to hold on to it. And this is mine. Nobody gets it So we see well-qualified people, not as a help, but as somebody to be concerned about. So this is what happens. I had a church my conference, 90 people, 20 years with 90 people. People will come in, get baptized, and at the end of the year, there was 90. And 20 more will get baptized, and at the end of the year, there was still 90. And at the end of the year, for 20 years, I mean, and, they, and there, there, there was, I wonder what's happening to our church. Why doesn't anybody want to come? I, pe- so they blamed them. It's like nobody's interested in the truth anymore. Uh, people are not interested in God anymore. They they don't make him like they used to make him. You know, when I came into the church, everybody stayed. That's a lie. Uh, but but so 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 the pastor comes in and says, new pastor comes in, brand new pastor, young pastor says, we got to turn it around. Let's open up the church to the community. Okay? We're going to open it up to the community. We're going to start a food bank. Wednesday nights. Wednesday night prayer meeting. You know how many people showed up to church at Wednesday night prayer meeting? Twelve. Twelve. And he opened it up to the community. He said, we're going to have food bank on Wednesday night. We'll have people that come and get their boxes of food. If they want to stay for church, they can. First day, they had church. First Wednesday, they had food bank. They had, they had 50 families from the community show up. Of those, about 40 stayed for church. You think they were happy? You think they were. How would you feel if 40 visitors came to your church? Huh? Will you be ecstatic? Will you, will you do the, the dance? Huh? Not this church, though. They were upset. Oh, who are these people? Where did they come from? Who knows them? They're just here from the, for the for the for the fishes and the bread. They're they're, they're not really interested in God. The pastor they, they would show up to church at four in the afternoon, and their food was 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 given to them at seven. So they were they were they were making a line outside the church for three hours. So the pastor said, you know, you guys are here in the sun. Would would you like to come inside? and have a Bible study. I'll give it to you for free if you want to have a Bible study. And about 40 people said, yeah. So the pastor would have on Wednesday night a Bible study with 40 non-Adventists on Wednesday night. You think that was, the people in the church were happy about that? Yeah, no, because the kids are marking the pews and, and, you know, at the end of the day, the highest value of the church is not the pews you sit in, it's the people that sit in those pews. People more than structure. I don't want to sacrifice either. But if I had to, I'll sacrifice my pews to get more people in them. This one guy from the community said, you know, in Ecuador, I was a professional choir leader. Trained as a professional choir leader. I am offering my services for free. I would like to start a choir in this church to have a cantata in Christmas. And the pastor was like, what? For free? Yeah. So he goes up to the music leader. (laughs) (laughs) See, when you're insecure about your leadership, you see qualified people as threats. Not help. This guy wants to start a choir. What? Pastor can can allow that to happen. You know the reason she gave I mean she clothed it in spiritual language. Uh, we bring it in, in strange fire. <laughs> strange fire. The world is coming into the church. I thought that was the purpose. <laughs> it's not a fubu church. For us, by us. Some people get upset when somebody sits in your chair. It's not your chair, it's not your pew, it's not your church. If you know, if you want to know the type of impact you have after you're gone, Get yourself a bucket of water, put your fist in it, and then take it out. The hole you leave in the water is the hole you leave after you're gone. Some of you didn't get it. It was like... In other words, none of us is indispensable. And we hold positions in churches, and we think you can't be an elder forever. Pass it on. Somebody believed in you when you were young. Somebody gave you the opportunity. Somebody said, hey, come along. Men and women. We have to empower the next generation. Give them real power. Not junior anything. Real power. I mean, they don't do things like we do, them, but we we do them like that because we had practice. How are they going to ever get to that point if you don't give them a chance? Okay? Number four, stand in the gap. This is for the leaders in this church, okay? This is what the leaders can do. Stand in the gap, protect them, give them permission to fail, okay? I believe my job, okay? I believe my job as a pastor was to be an insulator between the attacks of some people and the kids. I I stood in the gap, okay? You want to criticize? Criticize me. You want to tell me? Tell me something. Because I already know I'm not leaving. Okay? I already know I'm going to be here. But there are some people that feel it's their spiritual obligation to go to young people and let, put them in their place. They have no relationship with them. They've never approached them for anything. Other than when they see them, hey, I heard that you, hey, you know, I don't think that you should come into the house of the Lord with that on your neck. And, uh, you know, the tattoos are from the devil. And and, and you never had a relationship with them. You never took any time. I had a a deacon one time who's always mad. He wanted to quit because the kids don't respond to me and the kids don't respect me. And I try to put them in their place and the kids. And I said, have you spent any time Sitting down with them and talking to them one-on-one. I don't need to. Wow. So your job, okay, as a leader is to stand in the gap and say, I, as a leader, I already decided I'm not leaving. But they have not yet because they were brought to church. But when it comes to a point in their lives where they have to make a decision, I want them their experience in church, okay, I want their experience in church. I have a friend of mine, just, you know, painful for her as a mother. Her daughter sings, you know. She's a teacher in Oakwood. Her daughter sings, and her daughter sang in church, and she had open-toed shoes and had painted her fingernails. And this one guy came from the congregation after it was over and looked at her fingernails and looked at her. And I'm and said, don't take this the wrong way. I mean, when you say don't take this the wrong way, what comes after that is never a hundred bucks. Yeah, so don't take this the wrong way. But you know that Jezebel painted her fingernails. So if you want to be, you know, so he I called a girl who's a teenager that he never met, Jezebel. And then, and then when when the mother protested, he said, "No, people can't handle the straight testimony anymore." <laughs> Usually, those people are people that their kids are not in church. Wow. That now they, they already they already kicked theirs out, and now they want to wow. kick yours. I, I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not feeling that. I'm not feeling that at all at all. So I protect my kids. Okay, you have issues. Go come and have issues with me. But as a leader, I need to stand in the gap between me and my youth group. Okay, They're not perfect, but they're perfectly loved. Okay, okay, And they're not, they won't do and dress and act the way we used to do and dress and act back in the day. But they're still a part of this church, and they are loved. Even if I disagree with some of their methods, I want them to understand that they are loved as people. Okay? Number five. Strive for deep, long-lasting relationships. Not just number of attendees. Measure discipleship. Listen to this, old people. (laughs) Including including myself. I'm including myself. Measure discipleship by the ability to mentor a young disciple. What if we measure discipleship... Not about how many texts we can recite from the Bible, but how many people we've discipled. What if every one of us that is older would, would, would look to a younger guy or girl from church, depending on, you know, same sex, and, and say to them, you know, I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm gonna, I just want to let you know that I'm praying for you and that, that you're in my mind. That you're, uh, whatever it is that I can do for you, I'm here for you. 47%, listen to, this, listen to the statistics, 47% of kids that left the church said they had, listen to this, this is, this, is, this is heart-wrenching, 47% of kids that left the church said that they had no one in church that they have a deep connection with, zero, so when they left, nobody missed them. I want you to be close to somebody so if they left, somebody would miss them. Number six, turn doubts into doing. Service doesn't only benefit the people we serve, it benefits the people we serve with. This is my, this is my deeply held conviction between, because of what, something that happened this year With my own kids. I believe, listen, listen, listen to me, church. I believe every young person should be offered an opportunity to go on a mission trip before they graduate from high school. I invested in my kids. They went on a mission trip, my daughter did, changed her life. She went to Indonesia, she preached. In the middle of the, of the preaching, the sermon wouldn't come up. She had to, for the first time in her life, depend on God on her own. She saw how other people lived. It helped her to appreciate the 20 pairs of shoes that she had. It changed her outlook completely. She sat it She saw the Sabbath and the doctrines of the church from a whole different perspective. Service doesn't just change the people we serve. It changes the people we serve with. This generation is attracted to service. And when you have mission trips in your church and you afford for your kids to go on mission trips, what you're doing is putting your money where your mouth is. This church is not just about having worship and saying nice things. This church is active in the community. Okay? And kids love mission trips. So if you're a grandfather or a father or or a single uh, guy and, and, and can in some way support mission trips, do it. And number seven, listen. Say that with me. Listen. Listen. They are under a constant barrage of information, but hardly anyone to listen to them. First listen, then guide. Hey? Let me explain to you the paradigm shift of evangelism for this generation. Let me tell you the old paradigm shift, the old paradigm, and the new paradigm. Old paradigm is, I know the truth, you don't. I'm going to tell you the truth. And you, after listening to the truth, will understand the truth and say, I believe the truth and be baptized into the truth. Old paradigm. New paradigm is, I first listen to what your questions are. And in the conversation, I interpose biblical truth. So it's not a, "Mm, I know, do you see the difference between the two? Truth is not something to be comprehended. It's something to be experienced. And that experience should be done in the context of relationships. So as I'm talking to you, and you come up with questions, I bring biblical principles that answer those questions. It's not just me giving you. You understand the difference between the two? Yeah. So it used to be that people are attracted to truth. Where is the truth? Where is the truth? I want to know the truth. You tell them the truth, and they say, yes, that's the truth. But this generation is different. Okay? They want to experience the truth. They, they're wondering, how is that going to change my life in a positive way? Okay? So, I first have to listen. Nobody listens to them. From the moment they wake up, information is coming at them. Like never before. Information, inform- They wake up in the morning, turn on the radio, information, music. Going to, to the school, information. Come back from school, I mean, they're, they're multitaskers. They can be, my daughter's sitting in her bed with her books in front of her, and she's doing homework. On Facebook, on Skype, texting, with music on. And I come into the room, and she's laughing. And I come into the room, and I said, what are you doing? And her answer is, homework. They're able to multitask and do five things at the same time. hey we, we uh, us older people, we can't walk and chew gum at the same time. We get flustered when we're talking on the phone and somebody's talking next to us. They're having, they're, they have sensory overload. So when you go with the approach, I'm going to tell you the truth and I'm going to tell you what I need to do. And what, that's just another talking head. They have enough of them already. They don't have anybody because they're alienated. They don't have anybody that listens to them. So when the, church, when the church listens, and when the mothers and fathers listen, and when the pastors listen, and when the members listen, they say, hmm, because all of us appreciate when somebody is interested in what we have to say. Okay, I'll finish with these three thoughts. Three biblical conclusions. Okay. Number one. Am I doing it right, Pastor? Good, so far. Yeah. No, this last three things, and I'm done. Okay. Number one, we need spiritual, gifted, young people in key positions of influence. Okay? Listen to this text. I've never seen this before. Listen, listen to this text. Daniel 1.4. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted in knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of what? Well, what do you think that is? Well, what, what do you think the language and literature of Babylon is? Is that Christian culture? Is that, is that Israelite culture? Was that, was that Jehovah's culture? What, what was that? Huh? So how are these young people, how were the Daniel and his three companions able to make a difference? Because... They were trained in the language and literature of Babylon, and they were inside the system and they made changes from the inside. Somehow, we've, we tell people, no, don't get into politics. That's from the devil. And I mean, how are we going to change things in our communities if we stay away from our communities? If we don't get involved and get our hands dirty. Yeah. If we're not in, how are we going to change Hollywood if there's none of us in Hollywood? Yeah. How are we going to change the music industry if none of us are in the music industry? How are you going to change the military if none of us are in the military? Okay, we, we shied away and we come into our little cubby holes. And, 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 and the call is that we need committed Christian 7 day Adventists in key positions of influence. Yes. Yes. And so we should encourage our next generation to do everything they can to go as far as they can in all areas, not just ministry. Okay, I want my kids to go further than I have gone. I want my kids to be rich. I want somebody to care for me when I'm old. I want my kids to just make it. Go as far as you can. Okay? Number two. This hits me a little bit. Number two. We need to understand that God speaks to young people too. First Samuel 3, 4. Suddenly the Lord called out. Samuel. Who called out? Who called out? Who did he call? Samuel. Samuel. It's a young people. He, here, right here, is the perfect picture. It's an older person and a younger person understanding and the older person saying, you know, God is calling you too. I, 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 I told you guys this morning, I, I believe, you know, that Just As I Am it's a great hymn. It's a great music. It was composed last, you know, the last century. But... That the song you guys sang here today, awesome. Uh, That's a powerful song too. Amen. Amen. So, so the Holy Spirit didn't stop composing songs in the 1850s.